All right. Well, um, my name is Brian Paget, and it's it's uh, good to be with you all here in Nineveh. <laughs> I know you think Stillwater's Nineveh. You are so deal with it. Um, no, I, I so I'm uh, just I'll just give you a little intro to who I am and uh, my family. I think there's a picture they're going to put up here. Am I echoing? like T-Pain right now. <laughs> Sorry, was that? <laughs> Probably shouldn't have brought up T-Pain in church, but yeah, this, this is my family here. I want to introduce them. My wife is down on the front row. Uh, our four kids didn't come uh, because we would you know, like to keep them OSU fans, so we intentionally just did not bring them to Norman. Uh, there's, no, I'm just kidding. We, they're with the grandparents in Tulsa. Uh, that's Judson in the front. They're our oldest. He's 11. Next to him is Isabel, she's eight. Lydia's on the other side of Mama there, she's nine. And Hazel, uh, on that day, turned six years old. This was just last week, we were up in Colorado and uh, trying to be like a mountain family. We're not, we're not at all. Um, When you can't walk up the stairs in your Airbnb because the altitude is too much, you just stick to the beach. So we will be beaching it from now on. but this is them, and we're up in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Uh, a little background on me. I'm originally from Waco, Texas. Um, I grew up, born and raised, diehard, passionate OU fan, believe it or not. My dad uh, is from Oklahoma City. My mom was born in Stillwater, where my grandfather went to school at Oklahoma State. Uh, but my dad uh, always liked OSU and OU, which it's not, you're not supposed to be like that uh, at all. And he was. And he went to OSU, apparently. Something in there, I, there's some story in there about him going to OSU, but uh, anyway, I, so I grew up, you know, diehard OU fan, because OU football in the 80s was kind of a big deal, you know. You guys keep trying to do it now, but big game Bob, you know, kind of let you down there for a long time, but it's okay, because we got Mike Gundy, and he's 1-11 against you guys, so all good, but anyway, uh, I went to end up going to OSU, because I could get in-state tuition there. Uh, so I went to school there and uh, had a great experience there. My wife also went to OSU. We met there, uh, not that we were both students there. Uh, she was, uh, I just graduated. I was on staff with the Baptist Collegiate Ministries there, actually. She came in as a freshman. She was part of Campus Crusade, uh, so it was legal to date her. I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't see anyone with the lights. I have no idea if anyone even cares or is looking at me funny right now. But um, no, we, we met there, and then I was with a ministry called The Traveling Team, uh, has anybody ever heard of the traveling team? Okay, a few of you, yeah. So I did that for about five and a half years. We did it together for about two of those. Uh, I burned out, got really depressed, and uh, we were at the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, and uh, I just thought the Lord was done with me. I was done with me. It was a really, really dark season, um, and I, I share that just because it's something I try to share everywhere I go. Uh, it, it, depression is a real deal, uh, and it was a really, really dark, dark, dark year for me, And uh, but the Lord was merciful and actually... I actually feel, and this is going to sound weird, I still feel like that year, year and a half of my life, I was probably closer and learned more about the Lord in that time than I have any other time in my life. And, and I say that to encourage any of you that are there right now. Um, the Lord is with you. He is near. He has not forgotten you. Uh, and he is speaking and he is teaching and he is doing things, a billion things that you can't see right now. Uh, but he's been really good to us. I ended up with a few mission agencies that I worked for, uh, one called Frontiers, one called Avant in Kansas City before I was hired as a missions pastor at Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Um, and so that was fun, uh, being in Lubbock, because we could just talk trash all the time because they don't beat anybody. <laughs> so 
that was a good one, right? We're all in agreement, like tech's terrible, right? So we all agree there and boo the horns, right? Y'all all do this no matter what, just because you're supposed to. And um, so anyway, we went there and I loved it. I thought, man, I'm here. They had a vision to plant 20 churches among unreached people groups by 2020. And I came on in 2012. They had two church plants out. And they're like, do you think we can do 18 in eight years? And I just laughed at them. I was like, that's impossible, but I love it. Let's do this. Uh, I thought we were going to live there forever. Uh, and two years later, uh, the Lord called us to go back to Stillwater and plant Redeemer Church. A year after that, we moved. So 2015, we moved to Stillwater, Oklahoma, and we've been there ever since. And so we are celebrating in August our fourth anniversary, even though we've been there six years. Uh, I guess you could say we're a developmentally delayed church. <laughs> Uh, and that might be more on me than anything else, but uh, we are excited to be there and excited to be here with you guys. Thank you so much uh, for your faithful support of our church, um, especially now <laughs> uh, that we've lost quite a few folks through the pandemic. Uh, mostly people graduating and moving away. Uh, it wasn't all bad, but some of it was bad. So anyway, was that, that was probably, okay. It's probably good this came off. That was a little too too much, but all right. So here's what I want to do this morning. Uh, I've been asked to to kind of focus on why planting in church, or why plant a church in a college town, right? So Stillwater, Oklahoma is is probably more of a college town than even Norman is. Norman's a college town, right? You, you guys all know that. I hope. Um, but in Stillwater, like there's not like it's a giant suburb that somebody placed in the middle of Oklahoma and didn't put any big city close by. But there's a campus there, right? And so literally, on the census, you'll see this year, it should come out to around 50-ish thousand, maybe a little more than 50,000 people. If you take the number of people that go to Oklahoma State University against the number of people that are you know, on the census, whatever, it is like half our city is college students. So about 25,000 students at OSU, 50,000 people in the city. We're probably closer to 60,000. Some students don't do the census or they don't count certain things. Uh, but still, close to half our population is college students. So the hard part around, okay, about planting a church in Stillwater, Oklahoma, is the constant turnover, right? You guys probably get that here. My guess is uh, this is the summer crowds. So we probably have a lot of people who are like, you live here consistently. Some of your students probably you just got stuck here for the summer. Um, don't look at it that way, by the way. Nobody just gets stuck in Norman. You made your choice. <clears throat> But the thing is, right, that it's hard. There's a lot of good buys. And so what ends up happening, right, in a college town, so this was my experience at OSU when I was a student there. I promise you right now, this is true of churches in your city, maybe even your church right now. I have no idea. You have to assess that yourself. But here's what generally happens. A church in a college town is really oftentimes a one that's, that's bigger, we'll say. So it's not true of every single church. But usually what happens is you have one church that, that kind of meets under the umbrella of one name. But there's almost like three different churches inside of it. Um, so like there's, and oftentimes it's even more than that, but there's at least two. And the two are this. There's the college students, and then there's the residents of the city. And why I say that is most churches, they'll create college ministries, they'll do colleges, colleges, and they want the students here on Sunday morning during the service time because it's better to have 500 people in our service than 200 and 300 college students doing their own Sunday morning things. So let's bring everybody together. But the two shall never meet outside of that. So what happens is the 40-year-old the that has three kids sees a college student and they see a babysitter. Mm -hmm. Or they see a taker. <laughs> they don't give. 
They're gone three months out of the year, four months out of the year. They don't do it. And so it's not worth the investment. They're not in your stage of life. They're not in any of this other stuff. The college students, on the other hand, they go to this church because they look around and they see a lot of themselves. They're, some of them want to be babysitters. They want to get paid for it. You should never ask church members to pay you. To, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. You can ask them to pay you. They should pay you well. At least $12 an hour. Don't tell it settle for less. Make sure they give you health insurance. But we come as college students, and we see all these students around, and we see ourselves, and we migrate toward the college students. And here's what happens all the time. We get this all the time, Redeemer Stillwater. I love your church. I've found my community here. And I can track every single one of them. Every one of them found friends at Redeemer. Most of them have not found community because they're not the same thing. And you've got to understand that because community is older, younger, richer, poor, black, white, Native American, Asian American, international student. It's, community is a broad range of people. This is, this is what the beauty of the local church is, is that she should look such a way that it doesn't make any sense to anybody in the world. They should look at this and go, that's an odd combo of people that get together to worship this God-man Jesus. Like that dude's a raging Democrat and that guy's a raging Republican. What are they worshiping together for? It shouldn't make any sense, right? What, what, are, what are rich people doing alongside poor people? What are they doing having them in their home? And, and what happens is we go and we say, which church has good kids ministry? Which church has a good youth ministry? Which one has the best college ministry? Which one has the best? I'm sorry, Nicole. I'm destroying your djembe over here. Fixed it. Which one has the best senior adults ministry? Which one has the best young marrieds? Which one has young marrieds with kids? Which one has, and we're always looking for ourselves. When we decide on churches, we do all this other stuff. So what has happened over time, right, is we have whole churches in college towns. And I'm gonna focus very specifically. I know this is probably true in other places too. In college towns where you have this entire, you have this name that everybody goes by. You know, Providence Road, Redeemer, whatever. But within it, it's really segregated. And everyone carries the same name, but they don't really know each other. They don't really invest in each other. And there's not real genuine community there, but you found a lot of friends. And that's important. You need, don't hear me dogging on friendships. You need friendship. But you also need community. Because here's what happens, college student, if you don't engage with a broader community. Your whole four years of discipleship are just going to go in circles. Like, I know the senior that you're looking up to is really cool and awesome. <laughs> They haven't lived that much more than you. They don't know that much more than you. They haven't experienced that much more than you. Some have, maybe. But what happens when you sit in the home of somebody and you get to listen to their stories and you get to process things and you start realizing, wait a minute, I thought this issue in my life was this big. The reality is it's only about this big and I'm gonna be okay. And the Lord is with me. They, they understand what I'm going through. And they've survived. <laughs> They're on the other end of it. What does it look like for them to grieve with you? What does it look like for them to process and hurt with you? Now, this might not make any sense. And, and the verse I'm going to use, you're probably going to be like, this makes even less sense. Um, but we're going to look at Acts 1.8, okay? And uh, I want to read it real quick. We'll bring it up here on the screen. But Acts 1.8, here's what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, what does that have to do 
with church planting in a college town, right? And all the things that I just said. So in the summer of 2018, we did a sermon series called Straight Out of Context, okay? And it was a fun one. We hurt so many people's feelings because we took all these like one verse things like Philippians 4.13. We lost all our athletes because it has nothing to do with athletics, right? And then we did Jeremiah 29.11. We lost everybody. On July 4th Sunday, I had the gall to do Psalm 33.10 that says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and tell everybody that wasn't talking about America. It wasn't, but so we took these one verses, right? We went through like Habakkuk 1.5. That's one of my favorite ones. How many of you know Habakkuk 1.5, right? So like, well, yeah, because it's like a missions nerd thing. So sorry. So Habakkuk 1.5 says, open your eyes, like behold, look at the nations for I'm doing a work in your day that you wouldn't believe if you were told. Oh, man, that preaches on Mission Sunday, Open your eyes and look at the nations. I'm doing a work. You're like, amen, the Lord is working. Then what he says is open your eyes and look at the nations because I'm raising up an army called the Chaldeans or the Babylonians and they're going to come in and destroy you. Yes. Oh my gosh, man. Mission Sunday is lit every time I preach that one now. You know, wait, they're going to kill us? Uh, yeah, right? Isn't this awesome? So here's what we do with it. So we were trying to put them all in context. Well, Acts 1-8 is one of those. So when our straight, like straight out of context volume two, Acts 1-8 is going to make it in there because what's happened to Acts 1-8, I heard this throughout college all my, like through the BCM and I'm not knocking on the BCM, so calm down. But when I was there, they would legit tell me, people would come in and preach Acts 1-8 and they'd say, where's your Jerusalem? Where's your Judea? Where's your Samaria? Where's your ends of the earth? So here's what I did. No lie. I drew like maps on my like stuff and everything. I'm like, Stillwater is my Jerusalem. Oklahoma is my Judea. Arkansas and New Mexico are clearly my Samaria. <laughs> you know, yours too. <laughs> and then the ends of the earth is the ends of the earth. So I began to take Acts 1-8 very personally. And I began to think like, I got to reach my Jerusalem. I need to reach Stillwater. I legit told a campus pastor, our campus minister in, in a, my sophomore year of college, I sat him down. No, it was my freshman year. I sat him down. I said, listen, man, you're just shoving this mission stuff down everybody's throats. Mission's in for everybody. We need to reach our Jerusalem, man. You stop talking. It was November, so it was missions month at the BCM. That's all we talked about. For one month out of 12, right, I'm getting angry. And that was my held view. Then I started realizing something through time and people helping me to see these things and teaching me how to better read and study my Bible and apply the scripture. And here's what I learned is that we've been reading Acts 1-8 all wrong. So I'm going to reread it in my Texas vernacular so that you can understand it because I know Oklahoma is basically Texas to the north and you will understand it. Was that too much? There's still a little Texan in me that I'm trying to get out. Was that too much? Okay. I did used to call OU the University of Texas at Norman. <laughs> at least I didn't say that. Did I just say that, though? Anyway, let me read it for you now. But y'all will receive power when the Holy Spirit come, has come upon y'all, and y'all will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, that doesn't say y'all, but I'm giving you the y'all. Why? Because that you is a plural you. And here's why that matters. Because when he says, I'm going to give you the power of my Holy Spirit, he's speaking to all y'all, right? 
All that are listening at this point, he's speaking to them, who are representatives of the global church. These are the ones, these are the dudes that are going to go out and plant churches amongst the nations. They're going to make disciples amongst the nations. Like the Great Commission itself has a direct fulfillment in those guys that are listening to it. Now, I know what we all want to do with the Great Commission is read ourselves into the text and be like, I got it. But he was speaking specifically to them. That mission, though, would be passed on to the churches that he planted, not to the individual as much as to the church. We have a unity together in Christ that we are to call one another to constantly be making disciples of the nations. What he is saying here, this global mandate that he's giving, he's giving it to the church. He's not giving it to the missionary. You see, we think that the way we're going to reach the ends of the earth is through missionaries. That's not how you reach the ends of the earth. It's Providence Road. It's the church. This is a call for you. Now, you have to ask this question, though, right? Well, wait a minute. We are in Norman, Oklahoma. How are we going to be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth at the same time? Has anyone figured that out? I mean, I've watched Interstellar 10 times. That didn't help. Maybe there's a fifth dimension. It's time, like, maybe. That's not how we're going to do this, right? Like, you're not going to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth all at the same time, are you? But that's what he's called us to do. So how does Providence Road, how does Redeemer Stillwater do that? Why is a college town even then strategic in doing this? Here's why. You ready? So what we have in Acts 1-8, and what, what, how this has to do with Providence Road or planting in college towns, is this. The church is a global body, right? We know that, right? It's not just Providence Road everywhere. Providence Road is a local church that should be in healthy relationship with other local churches in the city, amen? Should be. Some don't wanna be healthy with you, and you don't wanna be healthy with some, let's own it. (laughs) And some have no business calling themselves a church, and that's true too. We should be in healthy, we should understand that our brothers and sisters here in this city are part of the same global body, but so are our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and Cameroon and India and in Russia and in Saudi Arabia and in China and in Thailand and Burma and North Korea. They are our brothers and sisters that currently are worshiping the same risen Jesus Christ that we worship in a very different cultural context than we do and probably very many different ways in which we do too, but they are worshiping the one true God, Jesus Christ, the son that died on the cross for their sins and rose again, and we join with them in reaching every nation, tribe, tongue, and language, in reaching Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's one way. But here's another way. How many of you are college students here? Own it. Come on, get those hands up. Be proud of that. Some of you, are, okay, is this it? We still, okay. So we still do that. Young people go to the sides. Okay. All right. Maybe after this week, y'all move to the middle and meet some people that don't sit like you do and text the whole time like you do or whatever. That was a joke. So, okay. So here's the deal. College students, how many of you are seniors? Any of you seniors are about to be a senior? We'll, we'll do that. Or close to seniors or wish you were a senior. Okay. Something. There we go. I just needed hands. Here's the thing. How, I want some feedback here real quick. How many of you, when you graduate OU, are planning to stick around? Like, you've got a job here. How many of you are planning to stick around? Okay, I see one here. All right. How many of you are pretty confident I'm probably going somewhere else? Okay, yeah, that's most people. Stillwater's even worse. Like, we wouldn't even gotten the one to hold her hand up. (laughs) It's like, no. 
Like, why would I stay here? Um, there's not much for people in Stillwater. Like, it's just sad. Uh, unless you're going to work in the fast food industry. <laughs> you know, there's just not a whole lot of job career opportunities in Stillwater, unless you're going to work at OSU. 98% probably of our graduates leave Stillwater and never come back. Some come back, some stick around right afterwards. Probably the same here, roughly, probably about the same. How many of you are, man, you're Norman people, like you're here, you're not going anywhere as far as you can tell? Like, man, like some of you didn't vote for any of this stuff. Concern. Yeah, so some of you, man, you're residents here, you're not going anywhere, you got a job here, you got your family here, you, maybe you grew up here, whatever it is, you live here in Norman. What would be real easy for me to do right now is to talk to you who are going to stay here in Norman and chastise you and make you feel guilty that you're living in Norman, not even considering going to the ends of the earth. But that wouldn't be biblical or right of me to do that. Now, 10 years ago, that's exactly what I would have done. Um, but the Lord has changed me, and here's why. Because you are absolutely crucial to the global mission of God right here in Norman, Oklahoma. But I don't know if you believe that. I don't know if you believe that. And for you college students that are going to go on from here, I don't know if you believe that your leaving here is actually crucial to the global mission of God. And not something you should be flipping about, but something you should actually bring your church in on you with. So here's how it works at Redeemer Stillwater. We get emails from people every April. Hey, I'm graduating in May and leaving. Thanks so much for my time here. Okay, bye. Like, what? I have no idea where they're going. We try to keep up with everybody. We're not that big a church. And why I say that is this. I, I wish, I'm not saying like I need to have a say in where you go. That's not what I'm saying. Right? The church doesn't need, you don't need to go to Jeremy and be like, Jeremy, what do you think? Should I take this job or stay here in Norman? Jeremy's going to say stay in Norman every time. And I'm going to back him up on that. Well, if you want to be in sin, take the job. If you want to love Jesus, stay here in Norman. You know, why not? <laughs> um, and that's a joke. Jeremy would joke with you, right? You would give up that and let them go. No, but, but to know where you're going, to challenge you. Hey, as you take that job in Dallas, do you take that job in Kansas City? We want to send you out. Like we want to pray that when you go and take that job, that you find a healthy, loving local church to continue to further the kingdom of God while you're there. That we want to see you as an extension of Providence Road, Norman, as you go out. This is the way we reach our Judea and Samaria, right, if we're going to do that. The reason I don't like that, because if in context you read it, it's literally talking about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And you read about it through Acts. By Acts 8, we're going you know, to Jerusalem or Judea and Samaria. By Acts 13, we're going to the ends of the earth. And he literally means those. So stop doing the, what's my Jerusalem? It's Jerusalem, literally. Like, what's my Judea? It's still there. It's Judea. Samaria, not so much. The ends of the earth, we're it. <laughs> we're in it. So you can take a break and breather on the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. You don't have to try to figure that out because this is a global mandate for a global church. But when you leave Norman, Oklahoma, whether you're a college student or you're a professor that gets a job tomorrow, or you get another job in another city as a, some, some whatever business you're working for, and you leave Norman, Oklahoma, when you go, 
this church, in a sense, should be sending you. And here's why that matters, because what we generally do is we send those that are called to be missionaries, right? So who's the guy that comes up, hey, I'm going to go with the IMB or whatever mission agency, and I'm going to go overseas, and hey, we all you know, send me, give me a commissioning, and that's great. We should do that. But what it does subtly is it downplays you and your job nine to five every single day. This is why I tell you, you don't believe that you're a crucial part of God's global mission. Because if you did, right, it should change the way that you understand your nine to five, but it also should change the way you have your involvement in the local church. Because these people, college students that, that are sitting around going, hey, I'm not going anywhere, I'm here. Those are the people you need to be engaging with to have community, biblical community, not just your friends, engaging with them, getting them to know you so that when you go, they're like, man, this faithful sister, this faithful brother is up in Kansas City, Dallas, or hey, better yet, you decided I'm not gonna do this. I'm gonna take a job globally somewhere so that I can be amongst the peoples, amongst the nations that don't know Christ. But the other side of that is true too. For you that raised your hands going, I'm not going anywhere. Norman is home, I'm here. Do you pursue and invest in the lives of these college students to the point that it hurts when they leave? When was the last time you wept over a student leaving because it was a hard gospel goodbye because you loved that dear brother, that dear sister. You so invested in their lives, but you're so thankful. It's not a tearing up of, I hate this as much as it's a bittersweet, like, man, I'm so excited to extend them out to the nations, to the ends of the earth, to wherever they're going next, but man, it hurts to lose them. When people leave our church, I hope they shed tears. <laughs> you probably know enough about my personality. There's a couple of ways I could probably make that happen. But I hope they leave going, man, I felt loved there. I felt seen there. I felt valued there. We tell our college students, look, if you are old enough to smoke and vote in this country, we are going to treat you like a grown adult. <laughs> You're not a kid to us. You're an adult, and we know that you're young, and we know that you have to experience certain things, but we want to help come alongside. This church is your church, so there's really not a whole lot of areas that are off limits for our college students. It's not like, well, you can work in the kids or something else. We don't really trust you up here on stage. We don't really... No, we try to plug them in and go, hey, we value you as members of the body so that when you leave here, because we know you will, and you go down to Oklahoma City and take a job, or you go to Kansas City, or you move to Washington State or wherever it's going to be, that when you get there, you know how to find a church, plug in, and begin to love and serve that local church as you did here. The indictment on the local church, though, is that as we get college students coming into Redeemer Stillwater and in Stillwater General, there's an indictment on the local churches that they come from that the majority of them do not know how to be faithful members of a local church. They were never taught. They were put in youth groups, which was another church within the church, and they were basically shoved off to the side. And when they get to Stillwater or they get to Norman, they're going, where is the college equivalent of what I had in high school? And that's not a terrible thing. It's a starting point. So I don't want to bash that, but we need to understand that that's not okay to stay there. Because then when you graduate in four years from college, you're going on to Oklahoma City to get your job, or you move down to Dallas, and you're going in, and you're going, where's the church that's the equivalent of what I had in college? And so now you're looking for like the young adults ministry, which is basically, you know, a Christian dating app that's in person. And churches probably should just stop doing it, but that's just my opinion. But isn't that what we continue to do in life? 
I'm not gonna, look, I'm gonna ask a rhetorical question. So if you're one of those that answers those publicly, don't. If this is not a good time to answer that, just keep this one to yourself. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Think about the circle of influence you have in your life. How many people in your life are people that don't make any sense for you to have close relationships with except for Jesus Christ? And how many of them, if you removed Jesus from the equation, you would still be friends with them because you have so much in common? And in that, you'll be able to determine whether you have a lot of friendships or you have true biblical community. And the question I want you to wrestle with from that is, how do I begin to broaden my community? I'm not saying best friendship. Right? It's awkward. Don't be the 55-year-old guy that's decided you're going to make best friends with an 18-year-old college student. That's awkward. That's not what I'm calling for. That's not what this is about. But that you've so invested in them that they start to feel like a son to you, if you're that age, maybe. If you're 35, they shouldn't, a 20-year-old shouldn't feel like a son to you. Maybe they could, I guess. But do they feel like an aunt and uncle to your kids? Do they feel like family? Do they feel like family here? Do they feel welcomed here? You say, what does that have to do with Acts 1.8? He says you'll be witnesses. And that word is martus, right? It's where we get our word martyr. And that's an uncomfortable word, isn't it? (laughs) Because when we hear martyr, what do we think? Like voice of the martyrs out of Bartlesville, people dying for their faith, being persecuted for their faith, being beaten for their faith. When we hear the word witnesses, some of you have been in church long enough, what you hear is, you know, two people going door to door, knocking on doors, and we're witnessing for Jesus. We're going to go out on the street, and we're going to witness. And that doesn't seem as bad. It's not going to get killed for that, but you're like, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. But this word witness is an important word in this text. Jesus says the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and he promises us something. You will be my witnesses, my martuses. All y'all will be my witnesses. The problem for us right now isn't the witness part. That's a problem. Fair enough. It's actually the all (laughs) y'all. We have been fed a steady diet of individualism in this country to the point that everything we do is personal preference. Every church you'll choose. Some of you will leave Providence Road in five years because your kids are in the youth group and you don't think they have an adequate youth group and there's a better youth group across town and you'll leave because of youth group. Some of you will leave Providence Road because they didn't handle the pandemic the way you felt they should have handled it. Some of you will think they're too liberal. Some of you will think they're too conservative. Some of you will think, and we will find a whole host of reasons why to abandon one another. And all we're doing is tribing up. We don't know how to do all y'all. We don't know how to do all y'all. We know how to find our tribe. We know how to find our people. We know how to go to those extremes. We know how to get over there. And then when you feel safe, like if you find a church where you agree with everything and you feel the most comfortable, I'm concerned for you. (laughs) We don't understand all y'all. The power of the Holy Spirit will come on all (laughs) y'all. And all y'all will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. 
So when we talk about planting churches in a college town, here's what is so strategic and unique about college towns. Do y'all know how many international students go to Norman, to, to OU? Sorry, not Norman. I know it's a high school. Do y'all know how many students you have here? Shane, right? Thanks for letting us stay at your Airbnb. Hope we weren't too noisy. We were playing Scrabble real loud and everything. I'm just kidding. I don't even know how to play Scrabble. It's against spell. Yeah, how many students y'all have? 2,200. All right, about the same as OSU, about 2,000 OSU. 2,200 international students. What are the popular ones? Popular nations represented. China, India, Saudi Arabia. Isn't that crazy? We get China and India because there's like 12 billion people that live in those two countries. But Saudi Arabia? It's one of the highest ones consistently in, in countries right now. But they're here, and they're not the only ones, right? There's 2,200 international students that study at OU. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And God brought them here. You didn't have to leave Norman. Now, that's just students. That's not the rest of the international population that's studying here. There's probably refugees that live in Norman. They probably came to Oklahoma City through uh, some refugees, and they came to Norman. They got jobs, whatever that might look like. Uh, We worked with refugees in Dallas. We know how that works. They don't always get jobs there. Sometimes they have to commute 45 minutes outside of town. So I'm not surprised if some people live here or uh, have gotten jobs here in Norman. But there's all kinds of immigrants that live here. There's international families and students that live here. You have an opportunity, if you'll get the all y'all, to be witnesses amongst them, to testify to the glory of Jesus Christ, the goodness of Christ. And you have that unique thing here in Stillwater. You say, well, that's true in Oklahoma City and the big cities too. I'm like, huh, that's true, absolutely. But Oklahoma City is a landing spot for people. It's a destination, folks. So is Dallas. So so the big cities that everybody is always talking about, those are places you move to live and you're not leaving. Norman and Stillwater aren't that way for most of us. At least half the people in our towns are always going out. So think about Paul when he planted churches like Ephesus, right? And Colossae and these other churches that he was part of or actually planted himself. Every one of those were on trade routes. And that's why it's so strategic. When he planted there, he planted in Ephesus and knew the gospel would get to Colossae. He didn't plant Colossians, the Colossian church. They came out of Ephesus and planted there. And you start seeing this happen over and over again where Paul would go, and not just him, others too. Why is that? Because there was a strategic position that people were coming in from all over, they were trading, and then they were going back out. Now, what do you think more represents those places in America today? A college town or a big city? You could say both and you would be right. There is a degree to which it's both, absolutely. But I promise you, here in Norman, Oklahoma, at least every year, every few years, there is a massive turnover. You guys have been in church since 2012, right? How many of you were here in 2012 as college students? One. It's changed, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, you're like, oh, I don't, these are all new people. That's why you're in the back. I don't even know if I want to be here anymore. It's like I used to sit on the front with all my, I sat over here with my friends. Then I grew up, so I had to sit in the middle. Now we're trying to get out at the back. <laughs> That's cool. She's probably actually one of your more faithful people. But anyway. You've been here since 2012. As a college student, think about that. One person, I know your whole church, and you're like, well, you should ask in August when everybody's back. Fair enough. Maybe we get three more. But you see my point? You have a high turnover. How many college students would you say you've reached in the 12 years you've been here? I just made up a number. You said 2012. It's almost 10 years. Nine years you've been here. Math's not easy for me. 800. 
During the year, how many college students do you guys have? 100. Okay, 100, 125. Think about that. In nine years, about seven to 800 college students. Do you know where all of them are at today? No, yeah. I knew the answer to that. I just wanted to make you look silly in front of your people. How does our pastor not know? Turns out they don't know everything, so give them some grace. All right. <clears throat> oh, but here's the deal, right? We've had, okay, so we're, like our church, the biggest we've ever been on a Sunday morning was two August ago at like 146. We were killing it. I think that's what you got right now. Mostly we're around 100, you know, people. At any given time, we have 40, 50 college students, right? In the six years that we've been gathering, starting in August, it'll be six years we've been gathering people. If we were to track just the amount of visitors who filled out a connection card, just visitors, okay? We're close to like 5,000 people have visited Redeemer Stillwater. So we tell everybody we're a mega church. We use that to our advantage. We got like 5,000 people that have come at some point. A lot of them were college students. Some of them stuck, become members, been faithful, faithful members. When we planted, we said we may never be more than 100, 200 people, and we're okay with that. But after 10 years, if 50, 60 of those people are college students every year, and we're bringing them into our homes and investing in their lives, and they graduate and they move on, think about the impact that we will have had in 10 years around the globe if we're thinking properly. College students, I don't know if you've heard, I don't think anyone just says this. Like, I don't know the guy that just right out just says what they really feel about you. But I think you probably feel it at a lot of places in town or churches or whatever, especially when the summer comes. Like, you'll hear people make the comments, good, the students are gone. We got our roads back. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, that's a student. They don't, how do you think they feel? But here's the thing. They'll say things that basically you're takers. You're parasites, right? You're here to get, get, get. You don't give anything. And then you just leave. So they don't invest well in you. So they'll hire a college pastor so that you got something to do while you're here. Or they'll send you to a campus ministry. And, but we want you here on Sunday, right? Sunday morning. I don't think anyone means it that way. I don't think anyone just flat out says it that way or genuinely thinks all that in their heart. But that's what's often communicated. I know Jeremy's heart, just because we've talked before, it's not his heart. It's not his desire. It's not why he planted in Norman. I think he shares with me in that he planted in Norman because he saw this as a unique and strategic opportunity to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth, and your church may never be bigger than a couple hundred people. And yet you might have global impact of like, likes of which you've never understood or known because you've got the all y'all. We're in this together. So when you graduate and you leave and you just tell your church, hey, I'm graduating and leaving, and they're not part of that process, your missional community isn't part of that process, or you're not, that you're actually doing a disservice. Because Jeremy doesn't know where everybody's going. It's not up to him necessarily. Maybe none of the elders know where everybody went. And some people were just kind of hangers on, you know, like we had some students. But I'm talking if you're a legit member here, which if you're not, I highly encourage local church membership. <laughs> it's one of the more terrifying things you'll ever do and one of the most rewarding things you'll ever do too. And I'll just go ahead and preface it with you're going to get hurt. And you're also going to hurt people. But that all y'all says we're committed to one another because all of us have been empowered by the same Holy Spirit. All of us are witnesses of the same Jesus Christ. 
And all of us need to share in the same mission to see Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth worshiping Jesus Christ. And you may never leave Norman and have amazing global impact. So I want to end with this. And you're going to do this as your benediction here in a second. But Psalm 67 says this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Now, I used to quote that. Okay, I teach a lot of, have you all taken perspectives? Yeah, so I, I teach perspectives. I've taught it all over the country since 2004. It was, I love it. I love the class and I hate it. Okay, so I'm going to be completely honest with you. And some of you have taken it. You're like, oh yeah, I had a speaker I hated. Might have been me. There's just some of them you're like, I don't like that person. I didn't agree with anything they said. That's okay. But I love the class. So, so helpful. I used to teach Psalm 67. I would say things like, we love that verse because everything to do with who? Us, you know, bless me, love me, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just make, yeah, make people feel guilty. And then the Lord convicted me. Okay, because so here's what verse two says. You ready? So verse one ends with Selah. Y'all know what Selah is? Not the acapella group. I'm talking about like Selah in the Bible, right? So Selah in the Bible kind of is, a, is this reflective pause. So he says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Reflective pause. Comma, that your way, ways may be known on the earth, your saving power among the nations. And I would hammer that. You don't care about the ends of the earth. How many of you got your 5,000 square foot home? You got a college degree. You're 1% of the global population. Shame, shame. You know what? I'm just doing this. And then it dawned on me. I'm like, that's not what Paul, that's not what Psalm or David's talking about there. What he's talking about is saying, if you want to see God's ways known on the earth, his saving power among all nations, you will never get there without verse one. Verse one, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us is the gospel good news of Jesus Christ. Meaning the only way you're going to be witnesses, all y'all will be witnesses both together as a body and as you get sent out is if you are breathing in the good news of Jesus Christ so that you can exhale the gospel to the nations. So therefore, may God be gracious to us. He has in Jesus Christ because everything that you've done has stood against you. He canceled the debt, nailing it to the cross according to Colossians 2. He conquered the powers by rising from the dead and he has given you great grace because he's not counting your sins against you as he should and bless us we know from ephesians 1 that now every spiritual blessing is yours in christ jesus every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ Jesus, he says, in the heavenly places where Christ, it says later in Ephesians 1, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, far above all rule and power and authority, meaning he sits enthroned over everything and protected by him is every spiritual blessing that is now yours in Christ Jesus because you've trusted in him. Then he says, and make his face to shine upon us. Now, what do you think that means? How many of you have seen a father when they're holding their newborn and there's just this glow over their face? Don't tell them that. They don't powder their noses, but they're not, like, they're not like, you're glowing. They don't know what that means. They don't know what to do with that. But you know what that is. That look is, that look of just, I'm so proud of this child of mine. There's this glow about them. There's this shining. That's what he's saying. So make your face to shine upon us. 
Here's one of the hardest parts of the gospel for everybody in this room. I don't even have to know you. I know this is the hardest part for you. The hardest part is believing that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is pleased with you. I don't know how many of you woke up this morning and looked in the mirror and thought, yeah, I'm pleasing to God today. Come on. No, most of you probably looked in the mirror and were like, another fat day. Maybe that was personal. Still got too many calyx in my hair. I can't do anything with it, so I just got to look like an idiot. Still personal. Make your face to shine upon us. Can I tell you the good news? When Jesus was baptized, he comes out of the water. And it says, the spirit of God descends on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, the Father, says this. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And for all of you in this room that have trusted in Jesus Christ alone this morning, he says the same thing about you. You probably don't feel very pleasing to God. But when you sit with that truth and understand that the Father looks on you as he looks on his Son and says, I am pleased with you. I've been gracious to you. And I've blessed you. What that does in us when we understand and believe that and live in that truth is it makes us say the follow-up. God, do all this that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among the nations. I want my multi-ethnic neighborhood to know Jesus, my multi-ethnic campus to know Jesus. Lord, whatever it is I need to sacrifice in me, I will give up whatever freedoms and rights that I need to lay down in order to reach people that don't look like me, don't dress like me, don't talk like me, don't think like me, don't vote like me, nothing. Because I want them to know your grace and your blessing, and I want them to know that your face will shine upon them. And they don't have to be white, middle-class Republican to get saved. And just to be fair, they don't have to be white, middle-class progressives either. Just trying to hurt everybody. Or any other color. There, we all happy? I just don't want to offend anyone and everyone at the same time. But can we be honest here? This good news is what compels us, but it's the all, y'all. If you're going to reach Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, guess who's going to be in your all, y'all? People that don't look like you, don't speak like you, don't vote like you, don't dress like you, don't eat like you, or else you might as well just give up the all y'all and just stick with your Jerusalem. You live in one of the most strategic places on planet Earth for the advancement of the gospel around the world. Don't waste Norman. Don't waste four years at OU. Don't let students pass by. Like today, I'm talking like legit today. Some of you need to repent. The first thing you do is go ask one of these college students, as awkward as it's going to be, just run over to them, make them feel super uncomfortable and say, will you come to lunch with us? I have no idea who you are. You may be a terrible person, but would you come to lunch with us? And we'll find out. You know what some of you students could do? 
And it's going to be awkward, I promise you. And don't just go find the oldest person in the room. That's what everybody does. So if you're the oldest person in the room, just leave as quick as you can. But I want to challenge you students to go find somebody and ask them, will you take me to lunch? <laughs> like, don't be afraid of that either. Like, make them pay. I'm just doing what the past, that guy told me. Start building relationships with people that don't look like you, don't talk like you, don't dress like you, don't, aren't the same age as you, don't have the same income as you. And start to learn to be all y'all so that all y'all will be witnesses together in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church. Their faithfulness to serve us and to support us and to help us plant Redeemer Stillwater. Lord, I pray that wouldn't go on deaf ears this morning. They would understand this is part of Acts 1-8. <laughs> what they're doing in financially supporting our church right now is helping us to plant in another college town to do what they're trying to do here. And in that, not only have they planted in one college town here themselves, they're now strategically planting in another and have, in a sense, overnight multiplied their efforts to reach the globe. And I pray for Redeemer Stillwater, and I pray for Providence Road Church, Lord, that there'd be a true family between us. You have torn down the dividing wall of hostility between cowboys and Sooners. <laughs> but Lord, in Christ Jesus, we belong to one another. And we get to sin together, and we get to pray together, and we get to work toward the same end. We're not opposing enemies. I'm not just some visiting guy. I mean, yes, I'm visiting, but I'm part of the family here. And they're part of our family. And, and we have this unique thing going on where as we sit, I see their missionaries on the board over there. There are missionaries at Redeemer Stillwater too. Maybe we're not financially invested in them. Maybe we're not even investing in this church, but we're together in this. I rejoice in the missionaries that they've sent out, but I rejoice in the multitudes of those they've sent out that aren't on the wall right now. And I pray for them. Anyone who's gone from Providence Road this year or the last few years that have moved away from this, Lord, I pray they would reconnect back. You'd put it on their hearts to reconnect back with the church here. And there would be a deeper connection between them and understanding that, hey, we're still part of what you're doing. We're for you. We're blessing you and praying for you. But that they would find local churches there and continue to advance the kingdom of God. I pray for some in this room that they would not be content to just stay. Some might really wrestle with a call that you've probably been putting on their lives for a while now to say, hey, that's great. You want to graduate and take this job down in Dallas, but I have further for you to go. Would you do it? You've lived in Norman for 15 years. I love what you're doing here. Would you consider moving to the Middle East and doing the same thing? I don't know what you want to do, God, but I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would come upon us and that all of us together would be witnesses to the glory, glorious good news of Jesus Christ to every nation, tribe, people, and language until you return and it's over. In Jesus' name, amen.